Dominic, Dominic, Dominic. Highly contested. T3 on the track. The takes is high. Highly contested. It's getting wild. Highly contested. If you wanna talk the talk, then you better walk the walk. Get the facts, show the stats. Act like radios are off. The takes is high. Highly contested. It's getting wild. Highly contested. If you wanna talk the talk, then you better walk the walk. Get the facts, show the stats. Hello and welcome to Highly Contested. This podcast covers some of the hottest topics in the world of football and basketball, where our crew gives our highly contested takes on these topics and supports our takes with facts. I'm Andrew and I'm here with George. George, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. We just kicked off the NFL season, got to watch the Kansas City Chiefs and the Texans go at it. We're in the midst of the NBA playoffs. Sports is looking good right now. I'm doing good right now. How are you guys doing? Joe, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Just got done finishing watching some NFL. We're glad to see it see it back, and hopefully there will be a great 2020 season. Agreed. So some of today's featured topics are including who will win Game 7 between the Celtics and Raptors? Can the Nuggets pull another 3-1 to one comeback in their series? And what did the first game of the NFL 2020 season tell us about the Chiefs and the Texans? Let's dive headfirst into it here on Highly Contested. We're going to jump right into it. The Milwaukee Bucks have been a disappointment for the second straight year, which leads many to believe that Giannis Antetokounmpo's days as a Buck are numbered. Will he be traded or will he leave the team as a free agent next year? And more importantly, to what team? So, for this question, yours truly will start. The question says, if Giannis is traded, what team do you believe will pull the trigger on him? So, me personally, I believe that if he is going to be traded, that the Sacramento Kings should trade for him. The Kings have some good guards in a conference that is guard heavy, but they're going to need a big man to help these guards out. As a team, they are ranked 27th in rebounding and 27th in blocks. Why not add just an overall beast who can do that and more? Giannis won't need to be the guy on this team. De'Aaron Fox is. And they got Buddy Heald in the event that he isn't traded along with their their first overall pick for Giannis. They've got the cap space for him so that he could so they could sign the Supermax for him if they want to. But they will need to trade for him because I don't believe they have a chance at signing him if he becomes a free agent. So that is why I believe that the Sacramento Kings would be the team to pull the trigger on a trade for him. Joe, what are your thoughts? What team do you believe will pull the trigger on a Giannis trade? Well, I'm going to keep it in California. I'm going to go with the Golden State Warriors that would trade for him. We have the second overall pick in the draft, and we have some bad contracts on our team. So we get rid of some contracts, and if we have to give them that number two pick, we could. And I think he'll be a great asset to the Warriors, even though some people are like, I don't know, it'll be iffy, it'll be just like a KD move. But KD earned those trophies. But I think he'll be a great, great asset to the team. George, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I'm going to be a little different than you two. I'm going with 
he ain't getting traded. There's no way he gets traded. I don't think he asked for a trade. I don't think his days are over with the Bucks. I believe there's a lot of loyalty, and he's built a great family bond with the Bucks. Uh, he almost didn't even go to the draft when he was drafted because his family wasn't able to go. Him and his agent and the Bucks organization, you know, had to work out a way for his family to get visas so that they could go. If not, Giannis probably wouldn't even be in the NBA today, honestly. And um, Giannis said himself he wasn't going to ask for a trade. The Bucks organization said they wouldn't even consider a trade. Um, so, and also, if you trade for someone of Giannis's caliber, you never get someone back of equal talent, or even more times than not, the draft picks you do accumulate in those trades don't pan out to be the same caliber player you get. And if you're a team looking, you know, to win another championship, to be in the contentions in the Eastern Conference Finals, you just don't, you know, give up on your MVP top five player and just trade them away for picks and a lower caliber player. That's not going to be success for winning. But I will say if there is a team that he does end up going to, and this is completely unbiased because Giannis said himself that if he was ever to ever go play for another team, it would be a team with his brothers on it. So the only other team that has one of Giannis's brother is besides the Milwaukee Bucks, because they also got one of his brothers, but it would be the Los Angeles Lakers. They have Costas Antetokounmpo. Um, so if he was to go to a different team via trade or free agency, that would be my only logical guess to where he would end up because he himself said that the only team he would play for other than the Bucks would be a team with one of his brothers. And since the Bucks already got one and there's one other team that has it, it's the Lakers. But I don't see them trading for him since they already gave up so many assets for Anthony Davis. And I mean, honestly, I'm not too fond of that move of him going to the Lakers. I would much prefer him be, you know, spend his whole career with the Bucks. Uh, what do you got to say to that, Drew? Yeah, so I'm going to kind of play devil's advocate here, and I'm going to say, so in wouldn't wouldn't uh, his name is Costas, right? Costas Atentacumpo. Yeah, that's correct. So wouldn't him and Thanasis? Wouldn't they both just? move with Giannis as opposed to Giannis move with them because for one thing here's what here's what my thoughts are if you're the Milwaukee Bucks and you sense that teams are going to go after him in free agency and that you're sensing that he might leave then why not pull why not try to pull off the trade right so if they do pull off the trade then in that case where where does he go? It's not really up to him because the Bucks are trading. So at that point, wouldn't it be more like a, okay, now that I'm with you guys, now that I'm with this new team, I'm not going to stay with this new team unless my brothers can come and play with me too. So I'm thinking that it would be more like he goes somewhere and then the brothers go with him. I'm not sure if it would be the brothers go somewhere and then he goes with the brothers, if that makes sense. What are your thoughts? Yeah, to what you said, if they sense that he would be leaving, but I don't think anyone senses him leaving besides like the media. Like I said, Giannis clearly stated he's not asking for a trade. The Bucks clearly stated they're not going to be shopping him around. So yeah, I mean, 
our team's going to be interested. Our team's going to shoot their shot. Yeah, that's going to happen. But like I said, I feel like he's built that family type of bond with uh, the Bucks organization. And we already know that family to Giannis is everything. And if you were able to help him out in a time when he was really no one, you know, and you helped his family get a visa to come over here or a green card, whatever it was, to come into the United States so that they could be together, that is worth way more than any other team could offer in a trade or in a um, in trying to persuade him to join their team. So I'm just going with that and saying that Giannis is going to stay there. He values loyalty. He fa- uh, values family. And the Bucks is where that's at for him. Well, George, let's just say he does go to uh, Lakers. There's also one of his favorite coaches there, Jason Kidd. When he was coaching the Bucks, Giannis loved his coaching and what he did for Giannis. So that's another tidbit of why the Lakers could be a spot for him. Yeah, that's a great point. Jason Kidd is still there. And, you know, some people speculate that Jason Kidd will be the future. I think you mentioned that in one of the last podcasts, Joe. Yeah, um, I did. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a good point right there. Like I said, you know, I'm saying that unbiasedly about him maybe going to the Lakers. And like I said, I don't really want to see that move. I would prefer him to be in the with the uh, Milwaukee Bucks and build that franchise up. He already made them relevant again. And I would love to see him, you know, stay there. And we know European players, you know, he's from Greece, but we see them, they, they're they a little different. You know, we've seen like Dirk Nowinski, he stayed with his team. Uh, we see a lot of these guys, they, they hold different values and morals than some of these other players. So I just don't really see him forcing his way out. And if I'm the Bucks, I'm not letting go of him if it's my choice. Yeah, to your point about the European culture, it's very different from the American culture for sure. The American culture is more about me, myself, and I, and you know, just what do I want to do? Like, where do I want to go? As opposed to the European culture, it's more about it's more about the family. It's more about the loyalty, as you mentioned. They've the European environment and culture has always been like that. So I can very easily see Giannis being that type, being that loyalty figure for the Milwaukee Bucks. But in the event that, and this is, this is of course hypothetical, but of course in the event that there is a trade and it's not up to, and it's not up to Giannis, where do you believe George that he actually goes? Cause it's, it wouldn't be up to Giannis to go to the Lakers. So where do you believe he would actually go in the event that Milwaukee trades him? Well, all right, two points. So first, I'm going to address back to the uh, the culture. So Giannis was actually getting killed by some media members, you know, in these playoffs, like because he was playing low or not high minutes in these playoff series that they lost in. And a lot of people were saying he, as the player, should be demanding more minutes from the coach. And just to wrap that around with the culture of the European players, that's just not something they do. You know, they respect their coaches and they listen to their coaches. But in the second point that you're saying it's not Giannis's decision or to where he ends up going if it's a trade, let's be real. Stars hold power in the NBA, and it's always their decision where they end up going. For example, LeBron James, when he found forced his way out of the Cleveland, he pretty much picked Miami, and that's where he ended up going. 
you know, it's easy for these stars like to say, yeah, I'm not, don't trade me here because I'm not going to play for you or I'll retire or I'll do X, Y, and Z. So they, they put out their list of where they want to go. And if they end up not going there, we see them leave. We saw this with Kyrie Irving also. He had his, when he um, forced his way out of Cleveland, he had a team list of four or five. None of them included the Boston Celtics. He played there for his short term and then found his way out and is now with the Brooklyn Nets. So these stars have power. They choose where they go. And if you end up trading them where they don't want to go, you're not going to re-sign them there. They will find their way out when that time is over. What do you got to say, Drew? Yeah, just to address your point about the coaching too, that was one of the biggest reasons why I personally felt like they lost the series is because of the coaching and of the lack of minutes that were given to Giannis. Because when you think about it, 35 minutes, that's that's over an entire quarter that Giannis doesn't play in a playoff game where it matters. So that's a big deal for me personally. And we know that Giannis is the star, but as you mentioned, the European culture, it's much different than the American culture. The American culture is much more about, you know, me, myself, and I, I want to get mine. And they're very much, uh, what's the correct term? They, they don't have as much respect for authority figures as the Europeans do. And I know it sounds like I'm roasting the heck out of American culture, but I mean, it's just facts. It's just the honest, cold, hard facts. And to address, to address your, um, to address your, your claim, basically they, so I, so I was listening to the same stuff about, Oh, Giannis needs to speak up. And truth be told, I don't believe for a second that that's Giannis's job. His job isn't to his job isn't to speak up and say I need more minutes. His job is to listen to what the coach says because the coach is there and he gets paid to make those decisions. So if I'm the front office, I don't pin that on Giannis. I pin that on coaching. And if I'm even if I'm an analysis, you know, or uh, NFL, sorry, NBA analyst, and I'm looking at that, I I still don't pin that on Giannis because at the end of the day. You have to take into consideration who he is, where he comes from, and you also have to take into consideration that he is just he's just an overall better person than that, and he's not going to bring his coach down or say anything against his coach because of the fact that his coach decided not to play him. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, that's not his place to say, sure, but you know that's where everyone's throwing the the blame is on Giannis. He should be demanding it. And maybe that's, you know, how the American players do it. You know, LeBron might be out there demanding more minutes, more time, or whatever it may be from organizations, from players. And that's fine. You know, you should be able to do that as the star. But like I said, with Giannis, from where he comes from, his background, that's just not what they do. And that's not how they do things on, on the other side. And, um, yeah, so I like I said, I don't I don't see him leaving. I don't see him getting traded. Any final thoughts from you guys? I don't. Then let's switch it to now the hypothetical of if he becomes a free agent and he leaves, what team do you believe will sign him for this one? We will start with. You guys think I should start this one again or no? Yeah, go ahead. Sure, why not? All right, so if I 
were to say a team that he should sign with, I'm going to say it's the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, this team is primed to go far in the playoffs if they add Giannis to their roster next year. I believe they'll go after him. It's just a matter of whether or not the Grizzlies are an attractive option for him. He's in his prime. All they would need is to get another shooter, and they would be definitely in contention for a for a title, I believe, because this team would be deadly in the West with the one-two punch of Giannis and Ja Morant. And Giannis wouldn't have to be the guy. Uh, as I mentioned in the previous one with and the previous take with Sacramento Kings and how De'Aaron Fox would be the guy. Same idea here. Ja Morant would be that guy. He would be the one to create his own shot in a close game to, you know, either take the lead or tie the game up or whatever. And that's a big reason why I'm saying that I believe he should go to the Grizzlies. What is your take, Joe? Honestly, I would I would love to, for him to go to the West, but I think he'll stay in the East, and uh, he'll go to a team that took him out the playoffs, the Heat. Because if you can't beat him, why not join him? Well, that's Kevin Durant's motto. What do you think, George? Yeah, I'm sticking to what I already said. He's not going to be leaving via free agency or trade. And let's let's not act like he's not in a great position right now where he's at. You know, he was the one seed. And I know they kind of flopped in these playoffs, but it, it, it was a weird year. You know, pandemic and all, bubble situation, no home court advantage, all of that going on, you know, plays a huge role in what happened in these playoffs and bubble because when the bubble started, they were not as dominant as they were, you know, pre-bubble, pre-pandemic, almost like the Lakers. You know, the Lakers didn't really look like themselves. You know, they were shooting poor percentage. They were at the lowest end of the bubble as far as uh, how the teams were looking. The only difference is the Lakers were able to kind of turn it on during the playoffs as where the Bucks, you know, they didn't really turn it on in the playoffs. They never found their rhythm back. So I'm not ready to blow up the team and get rid of Giannis. They're in a good spot. You know, they're the one seed this year. They're the one seed last year. You know, maybe a new coach needs to be there. Someone who can give Giannis more minutes or coach these guys better. But I'm keeping Giannis. And if I'm Giannis, I'm not leaving. Like like I said, if I'm staying in the East, I'm already the one seed. So why would I go to a lower seed if I'm going to free agency? And... Also, why would I go to a tougher Western conference when I'm already having trouble in the Eastern conference, you know? So either way, it doesn't really make sense for him to leave on his own free will. Like if he goes to the West, it's harder and you're already having a tough time making it out the East. You might as well stay in the East, but you're already the number one seed in the East. So why leave that? You know, they just need to add a couple more pieces, maybe a different coach, but I think they're in a good spot. And yeah, I mean, the bubble definitely didn't help them. So that's what I'm going with. Fair enough. Now I'm just going to ask because, you know, we're going to, this is a hypothetical here. So we, you know, kind of need the answer of this. What if scenario, but we're saying that if Giannis does leave, so if he does leave and you have to pick a team that he would go to, what would it be? Yeah, I already answered that. I said he would go to the Lakers if any team just because they have his brother. Mm. Joe, any thoughts from you? Nope. Move on. All right. 
So we're going to keep it in the East. The Toronto Raptors played a must-win game on Wednesday versus the Boston Celtics. The Raptors and Celtics fought hard for an entire game and two overtime periods. Boston trying to put the Raptors away while the Raptors showing they weren't backing down without a fight. In the end, the Raptors prevailed behind Kyle Lowry's 33 points and forced at, which forced a game 7. So, George, for this game 7, who wins the pivotal matchup between the Boston Celtics and the Toronto Raptors? So I'm going to be sticking with my pick. I'm not flip-flopping, so I'm going with the Celtics in this. Uh, but this really comes down to youth versus veterans. You know, in a game seven, anything can happen. And, you know, the Celtics, they got a bunch of young players who have made it to the Eastern Conference Finals before, and they're trying to prove that they can do it again. And where the Raptors are the former champs, you know, the defending champions, and they're proving that they could do it without Kawhi. And, you know, they got more veterans, players who's been here, been there, done it before, pl- whether playoffs or championship DNA. And, um, yeah, so that game six, it was a 125 to 122 double overtime win by the Raptors. Kyle Lowry was showing that he can be clutch. And that was one of my major questions, you know, going into this series was, can he show up in these big moments and he's proven that he can in that other game that they stole from the Celtics you know he made that that nice pass you know cross court uh over the big taco player himself into a nice uh shooting motion that you know ended up winning that game with a three and also in this game six you know Norman Powell had 23 points off the bench which was huge you know, they're the third team in NBA history to force a game seven with a mul- multiple overtime win. Um, you know, the, the Raptors, they're showing they're resilient in these last years, you know, in the playoffs. Last year, they fell 2-1 to the 76ers, ended up winning. They then fell 2-0 to the Bucks and ended up winning four straight against the Bucks. So they definitely got momentum going into this series with the Celtics. And like I said, they got championship DNA. But, you know, the Celtics, they're playing pretty good themselves, too. Jalen Brown had 31 points and 16 rebounds in that last game. Tatum had 29 points, 14 rebounds, 9 assists. Marcus Smart had 23 points, 11 rebounds, and 10 assists. So that's big uh, contributions from those three. Tatum, he's been double teamed a lot in this series, and his evolution as a passer has been impressing. We knew he was an elite scorer, but he's been showing that he can also be a playmaker. He can set up his teammates and put them in positions to succeed. And, you know, that's going to be much needed for their success in the future, whether it be this year or the coming years to to come. Uh, But they did start off 2-0. They lost three of the last four. So like I said, the Raptors definitely got the momentum going, but I am going with the Celtics winning this series Mm. Joe, what are your thoughts? Well, it's win or go home for both teams. But if I had to make a pick, it's the Celtics. The Raptors had a pretty bad, a uh, pretty bad down down the stretch, which I really don't believe how the Boston lost that game. In the, in OT, the Celtics got easy buckets and still played great defense in OT. The Raptors pulled pulled out two wins out of nowhere but to me the the Celtics are still the better team in this series and that's why they're gonna 
win this game. Yeah, um, I I'm still favoring the Boston Celtics, but as you mentioned, George, to you, to a few of your points, I'm going to be mentioning right now. First point is this is a game seven. Anything can happen, like you said. Um, we saw in we saw in a game seven with the Nuggets and the Jazz that it was super low scoring game. We saw the Nuggets up by I think it was 19 points at one time, and they and the Jazz came back in that game seven. And it was a super low-scoring game. I, I can't remember the exact score. I believe it was 78 to 80, something like that. I don't know. Anyways, it's not important. The point is it's a low-scoring – it was a low-scoring game. And the Jazz were still able to come back from a 19-point lead, which says a lot considering that it was a low-scoring game. So you were right. Anything can happen in a game seven. So that's one point. that you Another point that you mentioned was that, I, you know, Kyle Lowry was impressive. I mean, he has always been my biggest question mark for the Raptors every year. And, you know, this goes back to when they were constantly getting knocked out of the playoffs by LeBron James and company when he was on the Cavaliers and the and the Heat even too. But my biggest thing was with him was that he had a hard time showing up in the playoffs when it counted. And he stepped up making a nice fadeaway clutch shot when they were up by two. And Boston was defending well. He made just the sweetest fadeaway shot. And, you know, he had little to no room and just knocked it down. And that's what sealed the deal for their victory in that double, in that second overtime. So he stepped up big, forced a game seven. We'll see how he does in that game seven. But, I mean, he did enough to force a game seven. And that says a lot. Now, to your point about the Celtics. I mean, let's look at let's look at those stats again. You know, Marcus Smart had a triple double. Jason Tatum almost had a triple double. He was one assist away, and you know this team still lost. I mean, I felt like this team was doing doing a lot of the right things to put this Raptors team away, and the Raptors were still resilient and they still came back. So I'm favoring the Celtics a little bit, but I mean, this Raptors team, they're not going away. They you can tell that they're a different team than the quote unquote baby dinosaurs that we've seen in past years before they won this last last year's finals. So I'm thinking that this will be a very good game seven, but I have the I have the Boston Celtics winning it. Yeah, so Joe, you said you had the Celtics or the Raptors in this one? I said I had the Celtics. Okay, okay. Right on. So let's move on and go to the next matchup that we're talking about. The Denver Nuggets and Los Angeles Clippers played game four of their series, where the Clippers put up a strong defensive stand to win their third game of the series. The Nuggets are familiar with being down three and one, as they have come back from the same series lead in the previous matchup with the Utah Jazz. So, George... Can the Nuggets pull another three to one comeback in this series? I'm gonna go with no. I mean, it's already hard enough to do once, and to do it two times in a row in the same year in the same playoffs, that's almost impossible to do. So I don't see them pulling off that. You know, maybe they win one more game, but the Clippers are still gonna end up winning this series. And in this last game, you know, it wasn't so the Nuggets, they're not having problems on defense. You know, it's been low scoring, 
this last game was low scoring, but they're having issues on offense. And what really stuck out to me was that in the first half of that game, uh, Michael Porter Jr. had 15 points on six shots and three of four from distance in the first half. And then in the second half, he only had two shot attempts. So that's definitely not enough touches. You know, I feel like coaching needs to get him more touches. He didn't come back into that game in the second half until the 523 mark in the third quarter. So like I said, they they lost that game not because of defense, but it was because of offense. And when the Joker's doing most of the work and Murray's maybe having a downtime, you know, you got to get Michael Porter some more touches because we know he could score the ball. He's elite. And uh, the coach really needs to get him more involved. Two touches in the second half is not enough. Bringing him at the basically end of the third quarter isn't going to help you win that game. What are your thoughts, Drew? Yeah, so one point that you mentioned was that, you know, you you said that it's hard enough to even do it once to come back from three and one. It's hard enough to even do it once in a playoff run, let alone twice. Um, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure that it's never been done before, correct? Does anybody know if it's been done twice in the same playoff run? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I I don't think it has. Yeah, I would say it's never been done. But um, the one thing I'll say is, you know, one can argue that they can and might step up because of the fact that they're familiar with the fact that elimination is on the line. So they had, for three straight games, they knew that elimination was on the line and they were able to take care of it with the Jazz. Now, obviously, this is a different matchup with the Clippers, but the it's still the same concept of elimination is still on the line. So maybe we will see... Maybe we will see this Nuggets team step up. We we know that Jokic is capable of doing it, but I'm I want to see to your point about Michael Porter Jr. I want to see this man get more involved, and it doesn't matter how it happens. But this man just needs to maybe he himself just needs to step up and just say, "Give me the ball." But who knows? You know, also you know one could argue too that maybe he's not that kind of guy. Maybe he's more of just a you know catch and shoot, spot up shooter sort of. You know, but. My biggest thing, though, is I need I need to see that Jamal Murray is that all-star caliber player that we saw in that Jazz series because he needs to be that all-star caliber player, and we know that he has the potential, but haven't really seen it since the Jazz series. Maybe he's burnt out. Maybe, you know, the fact that there's consistent games every other day is taking its toll on him as a, you know, as a point guard who is continuously running, continuously playing a lot of minutes, but I still need to I still need to see him step up because if he doesn't step up, then this team will go, this team will be eliminated. Joe, it's gonna be hard to make a comeback again against the Clippers. Just think about this: the Clippers had a four day rest till their series against the Nuggets, and the Nuggets only had a one one day of rest. And I know that the Nuggets are feeling fatigue and restless. And honestly, I think that's what it comes down to, that they're not going to make a comeback because they're just so fatigued. But I really wanted the Nuggets to win this series. I like the Nuggets, but I think it's going to get the rest. Being restless and fatigue is going to get to them. Yeah, so 
you could tell in the post-game interview after the Nuggets and Jazz series when the Nuggets had won and the reporter had told Jamal Murray, like, you only have one day to rest. You He answered it like, oh, my God, you're telling me we only got one day to rest? Like, you could tell he was tired and he needed, you know, maybe two days to rest up to get ready for this series. So that's definitely a big factor in this. But, you know, that that goes to the advantage of taking out these teams earlier than you need to. And so I did a little research right now to answer that question if any team has come back from a 3-1 deficit multiple times in a playoff series. So it's never happened in the NBA, but it's happened two times in different sports. So... Uh, the Kansas City Royals in the MLB did it in 1985, and then the Minnesota Wild of the NHL did it in 2003. So baseball and hockey, we've seen it be done, but not in the NBA. Yeah, so it's you know it's fair to say that the chances of it happening are very slim, but. I mean, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be one hell of a story if it did? I mean, (laughs) come on. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) Joe, I know you're a betting man. You should uh, go see them odds and put some money down. Maybe, you know, (laughs) I'll I'll find them odds right now. I'll let you know if I'll do it. (laughs) Put a a dollar down, see what you get. (laughs) For real, huh? The thing that I'm noticing too, is that the nuggets aren't stopping Kawhi. They really aren't. I mean, to be fair, the Mavericks couldn't stop him either, but I mean, we're seeing, you know, we're seeing a much better defensive team, not able to stop the best player on that team, which is Kawhi. So in my opinion, if they're going to win this series, they absolutely need to limit Kawhi and they haven't showed us that they could do that yet. Yeah. I mean, there's no stopping Kawhi, you know, the best you could do is maybe slow him down, but you can't stop Kawhi. Right. Which, you know, of course is why I said limit him. So, but we're going to switch gears now and talk about the long-awaited first game of the NFL 2020 season. The Super Bowl-winning Kansas City Chiefs took on the Houston Texans, who looked good for one drive in the first quarter, but never saw the end zone again until garbage time, leading to a Kansas City Chiefs victory to start the season. So, Joe, I'm going to start with you on this one. What did the first game of the NFL 2020 season Tell you about the Kansas City Chiefs. Just get Andy Reid a towel to wipe his face mask. <laughs> Come on. But on real talk, though, I just want to say, man, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire looks great with the high-powered offense. CGH had 25 carries, 139 yards, and one TD. That's pretty impressive from not having any preseason games to play in to see what you what you really had. But the the other team across the field, the Texans, you can tell that Watson was really missing his number one receiver last year from last year in DeAndre Hopkins, now with the Cardinals. But at least there's a positive side to this. At least the run game was working in the backfield. Their uh, running backs combined for 16 carries, 139 yards, and one TD. Watson did pretty good himself, went for, 20 for 32, 253 yards, one TD, and one also one rushing TD and an interception to himself. 
But all in all, the NFL today was pretty great. I'm pretty happy now. Mm. George, what are your thoughts on the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah, so my biggest takeaway, similar to Joe's, was Andy Reid's face shield. Can someone give this man some Rain-X? Come on, man. Like, this thing (laughs) uh, was crazy. But all jokes aside, I mean, I'm glad to have football back, you know, excited. And Clyde Edwards, hilarious. He he played pretty well. But, you know, me and Joe were talking about this uh, pre-podcast. He was – so I got him in a fantasy league. So he was kind of annoying me. Sometimes he looked like a poor man's Le'Veon Bell at the one-yard line where they'd hand him the ball. And he would, like, stop and wait and then – he'd get tackled for, you know, a loss or about the same yardage where I wouldn't hit him. I wanted to see him, you know, attack, you know, it's, it's only at that one yard line, you know, attack that hole and just force your way through. But in all, he had a really good game. I mean, like Joe said, there was no preseason. So this was a, a good sign for the future of his career with the Kansas city chiefs. And I mean, the chiefs themselves look like they didn't miss a beat. You know, they look like they're the defending champs. You know, they look good. The Texans definitely look like they missed DeAndre Hopkins. And, you know, the run game was nice, but you need that receiver to help Deshaun out there. Uh, My concerns, though, going forward with just the NFL season is the fact that they had fans out there. You know, they had about 17,000 fans in attendance, so... You know, we're still in a pandemic. You know, is this going to cause an issue? Are we going to see more cases come out? Are we going to see players get infected because, you know, you're allowing all these people in? And, you know, I I really don't want to see the football season canceled, but I don't know what happened with the decision to allow so many fans in, but it was allowed. So we'll see how that is moving forward. Joe, what are your thoughts? Um, I, the NFL only allowed two stadiums to do that: the Chiefs, as we all know, and then the Jaguars. So I think I think they're doing like as a test run to see if there's any cases, if anybody in the state that came out the stadium, and uh, it, to, in order to be in a stadium, you had to wear a mask, and the only time you could even take it off is to eat and drink. Yeah, I mean it. I mean they did show some precautions. You know, I did see face mask, and you know. They were supposed to be on different sides of the stadium, you know, like not supposed to be so close to each other. But at the same time, you know, it's it's a football game, you know, and when fans start cheering, they're going to come together. They're, you know, going to take their face mask off or who knows what, you know, you take a drink of your, you know, beverage of choice or your hot dog or whatever it is. And, you know, who knows how it transmits, you know. And if a breakout comes out, you just risk the whole NFL season, you know, just to test it out. Uh, is it worth it? Guess we'll find out. But I don't know if you also saw that what the players were players and uh, coaches and all the staff that was there, they're wearing a bracelet. And that bracelet basically scans your body see, uh, with all see if he got contracted the coronavirus while playing the game. You basically have it on until you enter the stadium until you leave the stadium. So we'll see if that works out too. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I doubt that would work like if you caught it right then and there because I feel like that would take some more time. I mean, I'm not a doctor or anything, so I'm not going to go too deep into that part. But, I mean, we'll see how this goes moving forward. You know, like I said, I don't want to see the football season canceled off, you know, something something like this where they just wanted to test out how many fans they could bring in, you know, versus trying to be on the safe side of things. Uh, Drew, what are your thoughts on 
this first NFL game this Thursday night football? Yeah, so to address you know some of the things that you guys were saying about the Texans or sorry the Chiefs, uh, yeah, I mean Clyde Edwards-Helaire he looked pretty great. He had a lot of yards from you know he had a lot of yards from scrimmage and he did it he did it in you know a lot of different ways too, and he was just very elusive, very hard to tackle because of his elusiveness. And um, he did a really good job of just, you know, lowering his shoulder and just going hard at defenders when he needed to. The one thing that the one thing that you mentioned, though, George, was his goal line, his goal line uh, efficiency, I would call it, was just not up to par, which me personally, I was okay with that because I played you this week in fantasy. So yeah, he easily could have had three touchdowns. <laughs> easily, easily, but he didn't. So yeah. <laughs> suck. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie to you. I was, you know, in fantasy football, I was looking at this guy a lot because he wasn't as he wasn't ranked as high in the beginning, and I was actually excited for that because I knew that he was going to be a pivotal piece in that offense even with Damian Williams there. And once Damian Williams was gone, I was really upset about it because I was like, well, now this guy's draft stock is going to just shoot through the roof and he's not going to be that, um, he's not going to be that sleeper really, because even though he was going in most rounds, uh, in most drafts, he was going in about like the third round, even though he was going in the third round, I still feel like that's a very, you know, that was, that was a big sleeper for being a third round, considering that I knew that the chiefs, we're going to use him a lot. I, the Chiefs actually contacted Mahomes on draft day and said, "Who do you want?" And they said, "Get this guy from LSU." So, he, or Mahomes said, "Get this guy from LSU." So Mahomes obviously likes him, and Mahomes obviously likes you know having him in the backfield. So he's gonna be he's gonna be a very great piece on fantasy this year. I already know it. But to talk about now the Texans. So this game told me, as you mentioned already, Joe, that the Texans missed DeAndre Hopkins big time. I mean, there was there was a decent number of dropped uh, drop passes that uh, easily could have been caught, in my opinion. There was a big one that I felt like, you know, it just it. It was towards the end of the game, so it was at this point, you know, it, many people didn't really consider it a game anymore. But I mean, if you're Deshaun Watson, you need you need any you know anything that you can get to like latch onto to try to will your team to come back. And it was it was a Kenny Stills, it was a deep pass, but it was a back shoulder pass, and it was performed and executed perfectly by. Uh, the route was performed and executed perfectly by Stills, and the throw was just on the money, right to right to where it needed to be. And you know, Stills, you can maybe you can maybe blame the rain and and the ball was wet, but I mean, Stills, you're an NFL receiver, you got to make that catch because Hopkins, I mean, uh, Watson isn't going to throw the ball any better than that. And I think he was just dropping dimes, and I think that his receiver should have stepped up more. I liked David Johnson in this game. I feel like he's going to have something to prove this year since he was cast aside by Arizona. But let's be real. He's not the offensive beast that Hopkins is. You're talking about a guy that didn't record a single drop in 2018. And it was plain as day that Deshaun Watson missed having him there. 
I think the Texans, I think this Texans team is going to disappoint a lot of Texans fans this season uh, if they weren't already disappointed themselves. But after that performance and seeing the inevitable results of what trading their star receiver has done to their receiving corpse, I would just be, I would be surprised if they even get a winning season. I would be surprised if they get nine wins this season. Yeah. Yeah. Going on to the, uh, back to the Deshaun throwing, he tar his number one target was Will Fuller and he got targeted 10 times and only caught eight. So it, it was pretty decent, but I think the wide receivers got to do a, a better job of catching the passes. Like you said, you're not dropping them. Yeah. And you know, you can argue about who's, you know, the number one, the true number one between him, Will Fuller and Brandon cooks, maybe, maybe Deshaun Watson has better chemistry with Will Fuller, which is why he's, which is why, you know, he was thrown to a lot more. Maybe, maybe Brandon cooks was the one that defenses kept their eyes on because they know what he's capable of, which is why, you know, Will Fuller was able to eat as much as he did. But I, I thought cooks, you know, he needed, he didn't look, he didn't look like himself out there. He definitely should have had more touches and he definitely should have, and he definitely should have been, you know, throwing the ball a little bit more. I think he only had like four targets. So you can't have a guy, you can't have a guy with the, the talent level of cooks. You can't have him only getting four targets. So George, exactly. George, any thoughts from you? Yeah. I mean, uh, well, going into this game, Brandon cooks was dealing with an injury. So that might've played a part into this, but, uh, you know, they got a pretty tough three-game schedule to start the season, the Texans do. You know, they had the Chiefs today. Uh, they got the Ravens next Sunday, and then they got to play the Steelers. So they got to face the two former MVPs, you know, in Patrick Mahomes and then Lamar Jackson for the first two weeks. And then they got to play a really good defense that the Steelers have, along with uh, Big Ben coming back and the weapons they have. So... You know, I wouldn't be surprised if the Texans start out 0-3. So they got a tough opening schedule, and we'll see how it plans out for them. But I really liked what I saw from Patrick, my homeboy. Yeah, as you mentioned, you know, that is a that is a really tough schedule to start because, you know, you get the Chiefs game one, and you, me being a Jaguars fan, I know all and well what they're capable of in the first game of the season. You don't even need to remind me about last year. But I think you reminded um, yourself. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so don't remind me anyway. <laughs> um, so there's that. And then there's the Ravens, of course, you know, they got Lamar and that's, that's big enough already. And Lamar's going to have a lot more chemistry with his receivers now. And he's going to have, you know, he's going to have still, you know, Mark Ingram, they got JK Dobbins to the rookie. So they got, you know, they got some pieces on offense that are better that defense is still top notch even without Earl Thomas so that's going to be a tough that's going to be tough I foresee that being another loss for the Texans and then that third game the Steelers that's that's an interesting one for me as well because by then we're going to know what that injury has done to Ben Roethlisberger we're going to know if we're going to know for sure if he is you know coming back strong or if he's not the quarterback he once was in my opinion so it'll be that'll be an interesting game to see, but if we if we're going to be hypothetical, I'm going to say that Ben Roethlisberger is you know at least healthy and good to go. 
And if he is, then that's going to be super tough for the Texans. They can very easily start 0-3 this this year. Well, Drew, I got one thing to say uh, for George. Yes, sir. Going back to our Denver Nuggets and Clippers thing about the bets, the Denver Nuggets are plus 25 on the money. So I don't know. I might be placing the bet there. There you go. You know, <laughs> pay some rent with that. Pay some bills with that. If you end up exactly, how much? How much would you put down, Joe? Me being a betting man, so I'll probably put down a hundred dollars. Mm. That's for the what was the bet for? Uh, on the on the money line, so it's plus two seventy five. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's all the time we have for today, everyone. Thank you for joining us here on Highly Contested. We were going to post a podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so be sure to stay tuned, keep with it, and be prepared to be highly contested. Have a good one. Highly contested. Highly contested. Highly contested. Highly contested. Highly contested. Highly contested. Highly contested.